Hello, I'm Steve Evans. And I'm Alex Grow. Welcome to Talk of the Times. In this week's podcast, China and the thought of war. On Anzac Day, when Australia honours its war dead, the new Defence Minister, Peter Dutton, said a conflict with China over Taiwan shouldn't be discounted. In another Anzac Day message, the top official at the Home Affairs Department, Mike Bazzullo, told his staff, quote, free nations, unquote, were hearing the drums of war again. That was the phrase, the drums of war. And a few days later, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, pledged $580 million to upgrade the military. A week on, news of a briefing emerged where Major General Adam Finlay had said conflict with China was a high likelihood. To discuss all this, and there's a lot to discuss, we're joined by Dr Malcolm Davis of the Australian Strategic Policy Institute and by Bradley Perrett, who writes a column and who recently completed 16 years based in Beijing, writing on defence matters. Brad, first of all, is war likely? And if so, what would it look like? No. So if you mean likely as in more than 50%, no. If you wanted me to pin down the probability uh, more narrowly than that, I'll decline. I think all we can say is that there's um, a significant risk, a risk we certainly can't ignore, a risk we can't put aside and say, well, that might happen, but really it's pretty improbable. We can't say that. Now, what would it look like? Very briefly, the war would begin if it began. And we must hope it doesn't. If it began, it began because China had decided it now had sufficient capability to prevent the United States from intervening in a Chinese attempt to recover Taiwan to take Taiwan. And the United States at the same time would, would be calculating that it could not be stopped. So their calculations would be different and that's why they would both be going forward. The object of the war from China's point of view would be Taiwan. That's the primary one. And so the war would be fought around Taiwan, over Taiwan. China's armed forces are shaped for battering Taiwan to make it surrender, for driving off the American forces including forces based in Japan and aircraft carrier groups coming across the Pacific. And, uh, of course, the Chinese forces are also designed to land on Taiwan under conditions which would allow that, and that's a pretty difficult one. Getting soldiers to cross the sea, across the Taiwan Strait and land on Taiwan is a very difficult thing. The fighting, unfortunately, would be a hammer and tongs war in the area of Taiwan, southern Japan going out to Guam, other islands in the Pacific it would probably spill over. Assuming that Australia did become involved, there are installations in Australia which would be extremely helpful to the United States and which therefore would be installations that the the Chinese side would see good reasons for trying to knock out. Those installations could become targets. There's no suggestion of any... There's no possibility, in fact, of any general attacks on cities or anything like that, except in Taiwan itself. Look, I think Bradley's broadly on target there from China's perspective, uh, and particularly from the perspective of President Xi Jinping. They've placed great political capital in taking Taiwan, uh, irrespective of the Taiwanese people's wishes. The majority of the Taiwanese people do not want to reunify with China, particularly after Hong Kong. The Taiwanese people are largely opposed to any form of unification. For the Chinese, uh, this is a non-negotiable point. They will take Taiwan, whether it's through peaceful or military means. And so the concern is over the next five to six years, the PLA will develop the military means to be able to do 
across Straits invasion into Taiwan. They don't have that capability now, but in about five to six years, they will have that capability. If China's coercive operations in the grey zone fail to persuade Taiwan to uh, accede to China's demands, then it's likely that they will use military force to try to re- to take Taiwan against the, the wishes of the Taiwanese people. And Malcolm, what's that got to do with us? We are clearly in a situation where tensions have escalated between Australia and China as well. But what would this conflict with Taiwan mean for Australia? Well, let's take it from firstly a moral perspective. Uh, in terms of Taiwan, we are talking about 25 million people in a Western liberal democracy, okay? Just like us, with a, a market economy, uh, they're a vibrant Western democracy. If we essentially say, no, we're not going to come to their assistance, then we're turning our backs on another democracy that's being attacked by an authoritarian state. Then look at it from a geostrategic perspective. If we allow China to take Taiwan, then China controls the territory of Taiwan and from Taiwan, they can expand their military capability and their military potential to dominate other parts of the Asia-Pacific. And that could include, in time, Australia's air and maritime approaches to the point where we become threatened. So I do think we have both a moral and a military obligation here to consider the prospect of intervening alongside the United States to support Taiwan. If the United States either does not attempt to defend Taiwan or it tries and it fails, then all of East Asia, except for Japan, will have no choice except to turn to the emperor and kowtow. That is to say, all of, the, all of East Asia will have no choice but to become basically vassal states of, of China. And if that sounds implausible, just put yourself in the position of any one of those countries on the eastern side of, of Asia, whether it's Korea or Malaysia or the Philippines, how could you possibly resist China if the United States had not even stood by Taiwan. And I think uh, going on from Bradley's point, we've got to remember sort of uh, language that Xi Jinping is using in his foreign policy statements. His broad goal as a national goal is not just about Taiwan. It's about establishing a Sinocentric world order in which the Chinese model of governance and development is the dominant one, in which uh, Western liberal democratic traditions and the rules-based international order on the ash heap of history. So we have to ask ourselves, in the 21st century, what price freedom, what price democracy? If we let that go, we never get it back. Malcolm, is this a case of Australia following the US into another war that we couldn't win if it was to go ahead? Or is this a matter of our national security? This is a matter for our national security. And as I said, it's a matter for our future, uh, future generations of Australians. Do we want future generations of Australians to be in a vassal state to China, where China dictates uh, our way of life, dictates our freedoms and our uh, approaches to governance. I certainly don't want that, and I would hope you would not want that. I think it's really important to make a stand in the same way that uh, Western states took a stand in 1939, uh, when Nazi Germany invaded Poland, and in the same way when the West took a stand against the Soviet Union at the end of the Second World War and the beginning of the Cold War. We're in the same situation now. Bradley, you painted a picture of a limited war where military targets in Australia would be hit. But isn't all, all our experience since the First World War 
through Vietnam, certainly, that you don't control war. This idea of some kind of clinical war, which, forgive me, but I think you two are wedded to as strategists, military strategists, simply isn't borne out. War is uncontrollable and is utterly, utterly the end of the world as we know it. You can't talk about victory. Anybody should be very careful in estimating an ability to control war. However, some things are simply possible or not possible. So, for example, China simply does not have the capacity at the moment to make war at a very intense scale very far away from China. I can predict that. And that simply becomes a technical matter. We just have to count missiles and look at how those missiles would be delivered. It must be pointed out, however, that its ability to deploy submarines a very long way away from China is still there. That would certainly be a big problem. But that's nothing like the intensity of the war that I think some of your words just then suggested. Let me stop you there. You're talking in euphemisms. The idea of a Chinese submarine attack on Australia as being a problem, it's not a problem. It's the end of the world as we know it. This is war with China you're talking about. I don't think it's the end of the war. I don't think it's the end of the world as, as we know it. Bradley, really? if, uh, Bradley, if I can get a point in, if we're talking about the wide-scale use of nuclear weapons, then yes, you're correct. But I don't think anyone is seriously talking about the wide-scale use of nuclear weapons. If we're talking about a large, major power conventional conflict between China and the United States, with the US being supported by allies such as Japan or Australia, that's a major war, and it could be a protracted war, but it's not the end of the world. It's simply a major power war. And so we do have to get our heads into the right space here in the sense that you know, major power war is a possibility. It can be fought, but it doesn't mean the end of humanity. What it means is a lot of people die, one side loses, the other side maybe wins, and there's a geostrategic reordering of the world after that but we're not talking about global thermonuclear war. We're not, but we couldn't even beat Afghanistan. We've just lost in Afghanistan. Well, we lost in Vietnam. I think, I think that a war uh, between China and the United States would be a very different prospect that we would be going into. It's not the same sort of war. Bradley, I can see that you've got something to say. There is no way of avoiding the decisions. A very important reaction is the one that you had, Alex. What's this got to do with us? And the implication behind your question is, can't we just get away from this, avoid it. There are consequences if we do that. The main consequences are these. Firstly, we don't want the United States to lose, and we minimise the chance of the United States losing if we help. If the United States loses and we don't help, who's going to help us for the round after that? Now, I'm sorry if that sounds alarmist, but... Do you have a response? Is there another way of handling it? I would like to see a nicer way through. Frankly, the nicest way, I can, the best way I can see through this is really unpleasant. It just means a continuous standoff. As Malcolm says, China is committed to recovering Taiwan. It's as it sees it, recovering Taiwan. And it's, it won't give up within any predictable future. Yeah, look, I think that Bradley's right. Um, sometimes you do have to be prepared to fight. And sometimes you have to be prepared to engage in a, a major conflict to protect your interests and your freedoms and your liberties. We did that in 1939. We were prepared to do it in the Cold War. You know, we were prepared to use substantial numbers of nuclear weapons to defend NATO against a Warsaw Pact attack. 
The only reason we're getting concerned about the prospect of major power war now is because since 1991, we really haven't had to think much about it. Well, now we do. And you do have to think about the consequences of not fighting because they are very real. And I think Bradley is correct that if we don't come to America's assistance, particularly when American forces are going into harm's way, then Washington will never forget that and the US alliance with Australia will be over. And then we are on our own. We have recently heard our political leaders coming out and making some pretty bold claims. Are we at risk of escalating the situation with these claims or is this just a reality or part of a tactic to try to say we're ready and back down? Look, I think we're not escalating the situation the Chinese are. We've made very legitimate and justifiable uh, decisions in terms of policy regards to China over the last two years. China has responded with shrill coercion against our country, where they are taking hostile actions against our country, not by firing missiles at against us, but by using economic and political warfare and through media manipulation and through soft power manipulation and so on and so forth. So, you know, we're not the ones that have started this fight. It's Beijing that has started this fight and we need to stand firm. And tactics that have had very real life effects for uh, some Australians, right? Correct. Uh, But as I said, we didn't start this. They did. Mm -hmm. We should address the question of why this has suddenly surprised everybody. Because the whole country must be thinking, where did this come from? Suddenly, suddenly somebody, everyone's talking about war or government ministers are talking about war. Okay. It's not a surprise. Nothing they've said is a surprise for people who have been paying close attention to this stuff. The risk has been building for more than the past 10 years. But it's only been discussed by people who pay attention to it. And most people in their ordinary lives don't pay attention to to strategic affairs. They go about their lives, watch the footy or whatever. And then suddenly when when the government speaks about this, it becomes a great surprise. Now, let me tell you why it isn't a surprise for people, why the content is not surprising for people like Malcolm and me. The reason why the content, why the warnings are not so, so surprising are that for the more than the past 10 years... The risk has been rising and we've been able to watch it rise. And the rise in the risk basically is constituted by a growing number of missiles that China has been deploying, a growing number of submarines, more satellites that have been launching. What we can see as a system coming together that can confront the United States in the Western Pacific. So if you'd asked me 10 years ago, what's the risk? I'd say not much. Keep watching this space. By four years ago, I was starting to get pretty uncomfortable. And what's more, I could see that there was only one direction of travel. In 2021, hmm, there's nothing surprising about what Dutton said. If parents listening to this have children, should they worry that those children will be fighting in a war against China? Would you say to them, look, we have to get prepared, but I don't think it's going to happen? Or would you say... I'm afraid you need to get your boots on. No, is the short answer. Uh, I don't see a prospect of the draft like happened in World War II or Vietnam or Korea, uh, you know, where suddenly people are caught up to go off and fight. That's not going to happen. The war that we're talking about in the next potentially five to six years is a come-as-you-are war. 
So it'll be the serving military officers and soldiers and airmen and seamen uh, uh, and women uh, who go off to fight. I would, however, building on your question, suggest to parents that do they want to see their children grow up in a vassal state of China? I think that's a legitimate question to ask because if, if we make the wrong decision or if the United States loses, which is a possibility, then we do have to think about a very different Australia where there is no democracy, there's no freedom. You have an Orwellian state that governs our every move. If you look at China today, everyone is under mass surveillance and you do have concentration camps in Xinjiang province for Uyghurs simply because they're Uyghurs. So I think that you know we do have to ask some pretty serious questions about what sort of country we want to live in by 2121. In 1914, just before 1914, the military experts were saying it'll be over by Christmas. I think that we do need to be prepared for a protracted war. Uh, I know a lot of people assume that it's going to be a quick conflict, but I don't believe that. I think the possibility is that both sides go into fight, they get a bloody nose, they come back and for a second and a third and a fourth round. And you know, the possibility of a protracted war lasting months or even longer is, is a real one. It sounds as if you're suggesting you don't think it's particularly likely that we'll see conflict here on Australian soil. Are we safe inside the bubble? Uh, we're not in the sense that uh, the Chinese have already threatened to strike at military bases in our north and they do have the means to do that. So I would fully expect in a war to see missiles landing on northern bases. Uh, and also, of course, they can launch cyber attacks across the length and breadth of our society. They can bring down our banking, they can bring down our, our fuel, our communications, our electricity, everything. So we're not going to be safe here simply watching passively. Dr. Malcolm Davis, Bradley Parrish, thank you for a truly frightening podcast. And thank you for listening. I'm Alex Crow, And I'm Steve Evans. Join us again. <laughs>